0: Hello, everybody. Yes, everybody. Even me? Yes. <laughs> and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast, where we we review a bunch of movies.
1: That that's that's what we do. That's a film review podcast for you. Kaboom. <laughs> Introduce yourself, William.
0: You? My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibs. Uh,
1: my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a film critic. And uh, welcome back. Yeah, we, we had took, to, we had to take a week off. We just had for timing a, reasons. We had to
0: take a week off. Whitney, as we mentioned in our most recent episode of We've Got Mail, uh, Whitney is in a bit of a transitional phase in his day job and is mm. doing a lot of extra hours, and so we had to uh, make a lot fewer episodes last week than we normally do. But we're back on the old uh, on the old mm. wagon. uh, Back on the old...
1: but in fact, starting in just a few days, I'll be starting my new job. So everything is just totally topsy-turvy.
0: Yeah. But hopefully uh, in the very near future, our schedules will equalize and this will actually be better for all of us because not only will we be able to record more consistently, we will also be able to record before midnight. (laughs) That'll (laughs) be nice, right? So we won't be dropping dead on mic all the time. Um, We usually edit that out. Um, Anyway... This is Critically Acclaimed. This is our movie review podcast, and we got some catching up to do. So this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're going to be reviewing the new releases, and in some cases, new-ish releases. Uh, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or rather just Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because that's the only difference. Uh, No Exit, Dog, Studio 666, The Cursed. The Cursed or The Cursed? The Cursed. The Cursed. Uh, You know
1: what? They're both correct.
0: Family Squares, (laughs) A Banquet, and Hellbender. We are not reviewing the new release Uncharted. It is not by any particular design. It's because the only time they had like a, a, a press screening for that was on Valentine's Day at like five p.m. Too. Yeah, like we have plans. Like you can't just it's... do this at the last minute. Like mm-hmm. those of us who have significant others find our others to be significant. So we're not going to <laughs> Hens- we're not going to cancel our plans to go see Uncharted on Valentine's Day. And we just haven't had a chance to go because Whitney's been busy and so have I. So, a, and if there's so... no slight. We'll see it eventually and we'll give our thoughts if they're noteworthy. But we just mm. haven't got around to it yet.
1: I haven't seen it. Here's my review. It's okay. All right. Moving on.
0: <laughs> that does seem to be the consensus. <laughs> um Anyway, so that's basically that. You're all caught up. We can move on. Uh, let's review some movies, and let's start with uh, the, I think, the ninth film in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre oh, franchise. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's the ninth one. Uh, only the eighth I've seen. Oh, which uh, one? One slipped past me there. Which, which
0: one? Which uh, one is? The, the, new, there, the new Leatherface? There are two
1: films called Leatherface. Uh-huh. I've only seen one of them. Is
0: uh, it either the one with Viggo Mortensen or without Viggo Mortensen?
1: I, um, I saw the one from 1990.
0: That's one with Viggo Mortensen. This one with Viggo Mortensen. You guys the, the third the, one, right? The one with all, all of them?
1: That's the third one.
0: Yeah, he's in the third one. Okay, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the one with all the shitty thrash metal on the soundtrack. Um, (laughs) uh, Leatherface uh, holds a a little bit of trivia in uh, film history in that it was the last feature film to be given an X rating by the Motion Picture Association before they retired the rating.
0: Yeah, 1990, they decided to switch it up from uh, rated X to NC-17 in the hopes that X wouldn't carry the stigma Sorry, the NC seventeen wouldn't, wouldn't carry worry. the stigma that X because, yeah, because the porn, porn started the pornographic using industry,
1: it. Yeah. yeah. Kind of co-opted, X-rated, and X-rated yeah. now means something different. Uh, so that yeah, they took on the NC seventeen rating, still has a stigma, but it's yeah, not, quite not caught the on. same. No. Like porn hasn't adopted NC seventeen. No, like, anyway. Um yeah. So yeah, I've seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I saw kind of recently the Texas Chainsaw Chainsaw Massacre 2, which was uh-huh. also by Toby Hooper.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, which is
1: sort of like the the kookier, wilder version of the first one. Let's let's let's
0: let's go through them real fast. Let's give That's everyone That's what a quick... I was doing. Well, but you also skipped ahead. The original Texas Chainsaw Massacre from the early nineteen seventies. If you've never seen it, horror classic by Toby mm. Hooper, shot very very low budget, very very cheap. Mm. It is one of the scariest movies ever made, and it's really really damn good. And it was very influential, uh, it was very much based on uh, the serial killings of Ed Gein, which mm. uh, serial killer also inspired Psycho and a lot of other. Uh, famous movie Serial Killers. Um, it took a long time for Toby Hooper to make a sequel. Like it was about 10 years before he did Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 in the 80s. Texas Chainsaw 2 is fucking weird.
1: It's it's very strange. The, the main character is like a radio DJ, and she's the one who's mm. kidnapped by the murder family, but they now live in this weird, like, surreal carnival underground thing. Yeah, they live and like
0: underneath an amusement park, yeah, and they turn it into this horrible, you know, mutant hellscape, and, and was, they're, they're making their money by winning chili cook-offs, which by the way... <laughs> can,
1: can, well, and they contain human meat. That's of course the, they that's do. That's the shtick. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was 12, 12 years between the first and the second yeah. films. Dennis uh,
0: Hopper is in it, and he gets to do a chainsaw duel with Leatherface, which is mm. pretty fucking awesome, actually. Um, I <laughs> it's love bizarre. Texas Chainsaw 2. Texas Chainsaw 2 is a totally different entity, but it's
1: awesome. Yeah, it's it's, it's a lot more... Um, like, it still has, like, the grim ultra violent stuff, yeah. but it doesn't feel grimy like the first one did. It's actually, like, really sort of colorful and slick. Uh, yeah, 1990 came along. Leatherface, colon, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 mm. is... Uh, generic and bland, and not worth your time. It's
0: very violent. If that's what you, if that's what you want from a horror movie, you'll yeah. get a lot of violence. That's where one of the more famous lines in the franchise, "The Saw is Family," comes from. Mm. But eh. um, then there was. Uh,
1: 1995's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation, which was shelved and then released a couple of years later when the two stars, Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey, became really, really big.
0: Yeah, both of them. They, they ironically, they'd both been in Dazed and Confused, mm-hmm. and then they were picked up to do uh, this very campy version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It looks like it's like a play that like Divine would go see in a John Waters movie. Yeah, like it's very strange.
1: Uh, if if you like hillbillies screaming at each other yeah. for an hour and a half, this is the movie for you. And it turns out it I is, do. It is hard to watch. I actually enjoy it's that so one. Bad.
0: I enjoy how completely over oh, the God. top and ridiculous that one it's, is. I actually it's find it ridiculous. Be... It's
1: just grating and unbearable. But what's
0: interesting about and when, when you can see it just in those first uh four uh the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies they don't belong together. Like none of them There's no solid make,
1: continuity well, between the three. Not even
0: continuity. Or four, there's no yeah. tonal continuity. Like mm-hmm. they just they feel like they're made by entirely different people. The only thing they have in common is family of cannibals living in the south and there's a chainsaw. Leatherface and, yeah. is usually in it, but not necessarily. Like well, it's just and,
1: and Leatherface isn't necessarily the same person each time. Just yeah. there is a character named Leatherface mm-hmm. in each one so called because uh they have constructed variously throughout a mask made of human skin. Yeah. And uh that's kind of it. Yeah. Uh who who Leatherface is, the function they serve in this family. Like they're the that, family that varies, dynamic, depending Yeah, on yeah. Is, is always kind of the same, but it's not the same characters each time.
0: No. Then uh um, a few years later we started to have the big remake boom in the two thousands. And if memory serves This one was Uh, one of the
1: ones that kicked it off. Yeah,
0: the the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which everyone's like, what? Really? You're going to do that? Uh, Marcus Nispel directed it, produced by Michael Bay's production company. Um, It did really well, and it has a lot of huge fans. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's as good as the original, but I appreciate, I've grown to appreciate the remake's impossibly bleak nihilism. Well, that was really
1: uh, par for the course for a lot of horror films in the early 2000s. And, you know, this one was. Setting and also kind of uh, perpetuating a trend of of this yeah. kind of bleakness that was going throughout a lot of horror movies and a lot of the remakes you'll find from that era were pretty assertively bleak. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a remake of The Hills Have Eyes and The Hills Have Eyes Part Two, and yeah, these were both just like very d- punishing, tower torture yeah. movies. There's a lot of torture going on in the early two so thousands. Yeah. A lot of these remakes played into that. Uh, yeah, so there's just it's just sort of. Doesn't have the same sort of Homemade griminess No it's but very, it's very it,
0: slick It's actually from the same Cinematographer And you could never tell He's done completely Different things yeah, okay. From the original And the remake But they're gorgeous movies
1: yeah, um, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of blood And screaming Then, yeah. uh,
0: then that, that to... one
1: Was such a big hit That they did a prequel To the remake
0: Uh huh To explain the origin Of that family And um
1: and how, they, how they came to start eating people to begin with. That's a
0: very forgettable film. The only thing I remember very distinctly about that movie, and I don't have the exact number in front of me, but um, at the beginning of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, in the original and the remake, there is a voiceover by John Larroquette, of all people. John Larroquette well, from it, Night Court and the John Larroquette show. And, well,
1: uh, he did it for the original, and whenever they made a new one, it was like, "Hey, you want to come in to yeah. the booth for an hour and just read?" These he, lines he did. He and did it for the did, new one so, too. Yeah. Good for
0: him. Like he's he's he stayed true to his roots. But um, in any case, that opening narration says that this family killed. I forget how many people. Like 14. 650. No, 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 no. It's not that many. It's like it's like I know. So it's, it's like it's like thirteen or fourteen people, which is a lot. But don't get me wrong. But it's like it's not like this giant. Body count you'd expect so from a horror franchise. Some days I barely kill anybody at all. Some days I just can't stop. Well, I but I watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning, and the body count is really high in that movie. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, according to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning, they did almost no other killing. It's just the killing in those two movies. That franchise is dead. They've <laughs> accounted for pretty much every death that they've mentioned in that all opening right. monologue. I thought that was really uh, hilarious. M-
1: mixed in with all of this is like an, an unofficial Texas Chainsaw homage that Rob Zombie made in House of 1000 Corpses. Is, oh, it's... Uh, very, very, very heavily influenced by Texas Chainsaw mm, Massacre. The, uh, the, the of, Devil's
0: Rejects even more so, I think.
1: Well, uh, the, the, the idea that there's a uh, murder family, including uh, like a... Uh, uh, gigantic simpleton who wears a human skin mask yeah. is a big part of, of uh House of One Thousand Corpses. Sure. There's also like a cyborg named Dr. Satan. And I'm like, <laughs> there's all kinds of crazy shit in that movie.
0: Yeah, I wish we'd bring Dr. Satan back. He moved away from Dr. Satan. I'm like, you coward. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, then, th- uh, then they brought in Texas Chainsaw 3D hmm. which has massive continuity problems and that it's supposed to take place like 20 years after the original, but everyone has smartphones. It's like they kind of forgot what year it takes place. So there's like a whole sequence where someone has a smartphone and they shouldn't. Apart from that, that's a very enjoyable film.
1: It, it actually has like a lot of energy. It bothers to tell a story. It feels like a real movie, which yeah. is rare for the Texas Chainsaw uh, movies because the yeah. original is uh, actually... Deliberately very low concept. Yeah. Uh, just people wander into a house of murder cannibals and mm. they get murdered and cannibalized. Yeah, that's, that's the power of it. Of it. Yeah, that's yeah. the
0: power of it. It feels like just stuff that happens and there's uh, something really freaky about it.
1: I've heard it described thus that it feels like it was made by cannibals. Yeah. Uh, even the film stock looks like it's been yeah. like in a slaughterhouse. Um, uh, it, that rawness is where it gets a lot of its power. Yeah. Uh, but by the time we get to Texas Chainsaw 3D, they're like, hey, maybe we can like make it slick like yeah make a movie about this like, yeah to make it actually about treated like a film characters with story beats and a well, plot and acts and all the rest because that's really uncommon for this film series yeah
0: and then uh and then that didn't take off and then we had a barely eked out uh prequel i think officially it's only a prequel to the original or it might be a prequel to like Texas chainsaw 3d but whatever um it's a prequel called uh leatherface again <laughs> just to confuse you um, oh, this is, the titles are plenty confusing. Stars Steven Dorf and other people. Um, that movie is terrible. That movie. That's, and, and that's the
1: one I missed. As, as far as I'm concerned, thing.
0: that's the worst in the franchise. Cause the one, that particular movie, which is about how like, uh, two of the kids in the Sawyer family, that's the name of the family cannibals, um, got taken away from their family and they got taken to an orphanage and then they broke out and killed a bunch of people. Um, It doesn't feel like it's from Texas Chainsaw. It feels like it was made by people who saw stuff Texas Chainsaw inspired. So it feels like three generations removed. It's like it's a little bit of Natural Born Killers. It's a little bit of Devil's Rejects. And nothing about it carries really anything to do with Texas Chainsaw other than a little bit of plot. It just comes across as this really low budget ultra-violent fugitive thing that really didn't have yeah, to be right. called Texas Chainsaw. And on top of that, I don't think it's very good. I don't think it's well-written. I don't think it's well-acted. It's a frustrating film for well,
1: me. Apart from Stephen Dorff and uh, Lily Taylor's in that, too. Oh, that's right. Lily they're, Taylor's they're, in they're, that. She, she's good. In
0: it. Actually, I forgot about Lily Taylor for a second. She's good, but both, she's not in it. Those two are
1: typically much. both very good in what yeah. they're in. Yeah, yeah but it's not its draft. not their story. It's oh, probably yeah. the story
0: of like these, these two hunky teens who are oh, driving around killing people. It's not good. Um... So we're back, and we are once again, for the umpteenth time, uh, we are making a sequel to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think this might be the fourth sequel to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre to ignore well, all the other movies.
1: yeah,
0: yeah the, There's no continuity in, no. in, in any of these. Don't, there's the original uh, so, movie and then other stuff.
1: Yeah, just other things that sort of yeah. draw from the s- same premise. And uh, this one is... Drop the the. It's cleaner. This one is just... <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre without yeah. the...
0: the also the, worth noting, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre title, Chainsaw, was two words. Chainsaw Massacre. Except on the poster where it was one. So well, the, they little, the poster... a little they, bit
1: muddled. But, I think uh, the
0: poster like got redone multiple times because it had like, many posters. Right. So I think after a while they just dropped it. Yeah, but so, the original title is Chainsaw. So if you pay
1: attention to words. sort of like the, the spacing in the articles, you can kind yeah. of tell these films apart. You Kerning
0: know, is everything in Texas it, Chainsaw.
1: It, and if you, uh, if you watch the movies, you can also kind of tell them apart. Uh, <laughs> They're they're all very similar. Yeah. Uh, the premise this time around is uh, trying to be quite topical, not very well, mm-hmm. but uh, it involves uh, Instagram influencers like wealthy young tech millennials uh-huh. who have uh, decided to buy a, a whole small town in Texas mm-hmm. and, and gentrify it. Yeah, yeah. G- gentrify a ghost town and turn it yeah. into like this this hot hipster area. Yeah, uh, they wanted to want it to be the next Austin. Here's what you do: you need to get Leatherface and you put them in Austin, and you have them kill people in Austin, that's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre you need to satirize these. Oh, my God.
0: Leatherface attacks Mm. South by Southwest. Perfect. Awesome. There's your movie.
1: (laughs) The South by Southwest Chainsaw Massacre. Later
0: in this episode, we're going to review a film uh, that I've been, in my head, referring to as South by Southwest, the movie. (laughs) Uh, So we'll talk about that in a minute, but... But, uh,
1: yeah, these, uh, of course, these... um, Young millennials are very... They're clearly being built to be kind of hated.
0: Yeah. So when they finally yeah. get...
1: Eventually, inevitably get slaughtered uh, mm. by Leatherface, you you kind of are eager to, to watch them die. But
0: I think that's significant because it, it marks a distinct transition here mm. between Texas Chainsaw trying to do its own thing, being super weird, and then this new Texas Chainsaw Massacre is we're a slasher movie now. That's there, it. We're a introducing a bunch now, of people and, uh, that you won't mind getting murdered. We're going to murder them in really creative ways. And then that's the film. It's really and, uncomplicated.
1: And, and this one is also unique in that uh, Leatherface mm-hmm. uh, is because it's, you know, that sort of slasher mold now has a little bit of the righteous kill about him. Yeah. He's, he's wrong here. In a yeah, way. There, yeah, There's an element of that to most slasher films that they, uh, mm-hmm. If you watch enough slasher films or you listen to people talk about them, you notice the tropes about how the the characters who take drugs or have sex early in the movie are then like karmically punished by the yeah. killer
0: and the killer is usually someone usually they're going way overboard obviously but they're usually someone who is wronged in some way mm-hmm. uh teenagers let them drown because they were having sex uh there was a horrible prank that went terribly wrong and it nearly killed them that yeah. kind of thing uh, uh, they, they burned my house yeah. down with me in it i mean sure i tried to kill their kids but and, whatever they're the real jerks and while there's plenty yeah.
1: to be said about uh, how the murder family in texas chainsaw massacre is the result of a lot of uh um, generations-long economic uh, imbalance throughout the United States yep. and how it affects rural areas, specifically mm-hmm. in Texas. Uh, the remakes um, really
0: hammered that home in particular. Yeah, yeah. yeah. especially
1: the beginning. It's oh, yeah. very specifically about that. It's about yeah. how they all lost their jobs at the local slaughterhouse. Uh, that's uh, sort of like a, a thematic element. This is a mm-hmm. lot more of a directly story element yeah. where uh, Leatherface and Alice Kriege Yay! Uh, Alice
0: Kreese, the Borg Queen the Borg, from First Contact. The Borg
1: Queen, she was in Sleepwalkers. Uh-huh, uh, she, she
0: was in Gretel and Hansel, very underrated horror that's movie. That's where she Maybe played the check, witch check, in that yeah, one. Yeah, very uh, underrated uh, horror movie. Please check out And here that she
1: plays yeah. uh, the, the Leatherface's mom, and she yeah. and Leatherface wow. are... Uh,
0: she, she runs an relic. orphanage. where Basically, the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre happened in the early 70s, mm. and then everyone disappeared. And then Leatherface is the last one who has never been found and arrested, killed, whatever. Mm. And it uh, turns out he's been hiding at this orphanage And Alice Kriege has been protecting him this whole time. Yeah,
1: and... Uh, when these hipsters come in, they find her still living in the house. They thought they had bought everything and everybody had been yeah. evicted. She's still there and, re- and says, "No, no, there was, there was like, I, I, think, I made a deal. I, fixed it I, f- with I the figured bang. it out, yeah. so I was able to stay here."
0: So they kick and her out. They,
1: but they kick her out. They put her, and in so doing, she has some sort of attack, and they put her on an ambulance and, and drive her away.
0: Yeah, Leatherface uh, gets in the ambulance. They don't know it's yeah. Leatherface yet. Yeah, yeah, le- leatherface some big guy.
1: G- gets in the ambulance, uh, and so the the hipsters go about preparing the town. Uh-huh. Meanwhile in the ambulance, wouldn't you know it, Alice Kriege dies and Leatherface is now given license to put on a skin mask and kill everybody.
0: Apparently Alice Kriege Uh, was the only thing keeping him from murdering everyone in the world and now that she's gone... Here we go. Yeah. Basically, uh,
1: there's also a subplot. One of the characters played by Elsie Fisher from oh, yeah. eighth grade. Yeah, uh, she's in another
0: movie reviewing this week. Actually, uh, she
1: plays, and this this is really badly handled. Yeah, she plays the survival survivor of a school shooting. Yeah, and is using this trip to sort of uh, heal. Well, uh, the her sister is one of the, her, the Instagram. Her, her older
0: sister is behind this big scheme, mm. and she wants to make sure that her younger sister. Someone's looking after her. Yeah. So she's dragged along in this whole event. And I, I, I wouldn't say. And it's, it's, not, not, it's not that they do anything like horrifically wrong with that material, but using it as a generic backstory for a tortured character mm-hmm. is in really poor taste. It, it's in poor taste.
1: Uh, yeah. it, it also speaks to how common those sorts of traumas are. True, true. And, That's a good and point. the film is not doing anything. A lot of heavy lifting in terms of like trying to draw parallels between the trauma of her past and the mm. trauma of her present. No, uh, just she experiences a lot of violence yeah. and then learns to do violence and isn't that heroic? I would
0: argue that this film's biggest flaw mm. is it keeps bringing up serious thematic things and has no idea how to talk about them. No, at and, all. Uh, and at indeed, all.
1: Uh, and indeed, uh, more so than any of the other movies, even the ones that are really yeah. sympathetic with the cannibal family, uh, this one is like straight up, mm. don't mess with Texas, kind of yeah. pro-gun politically. Uh, it's it's a very right-wing movie, mm. well, and uh, it's about how these sort of, si- these like left-wing city hipsters yeah. are... It's sort of like a revenge fantasy sure. for people who hate those uh, the, the big city hipsters. And yet, so and, uh, yeah, Leatherface I, is now being staged as this instrument of vengeance uh, right. for Texas. Yeah, he is now Texas's hero. Well, I in think this that's a, I
0: think that's a slight exaggeration. It's kind of there. Yeah, that's the, that's the way of they're there. presenting him. I think that I think if they really wanted to do that, they could have, and they could have mm-hmm. gone really overboard with it, and it could have been really strong weird, maybe in poor taste, but strong. In fact, but I the, think the that, thing that sort of like yeah.
1: incurs everybody's wrath is when they try to remove a Confederate flag from one of the buildings. That is a, a pretty fraught image right now. Uh, and it's always been a pretty fraught image And that yeah. they included it in this film as the thing that instigates the action, uh-huh. as the central symbol that instigates the action, uh-huh. uh, is significant. It's not part of this financial... But
0: I don't, I don't see it as something that's being defended. I see it as something mm-hmm. like that's the, literally a red flag. <laughs> it's like, like literally like oh shit don't go in that house like that kind of mm. thing like that's how i whatever i but i see your point mm. um for me what it boils down to this whole movie is all of the thematic stuff in it which is mostly handled so superficially it, it barely registers mm. um is secondary and what we've really got here is an anti-capitalist screed where Leatherface kills a whole bunch of rich young entrepreneurs. Yeah, who want to exploit his town. Uh, once the slaughtering begins, the slaughtering is really cool. Like the slaughtering oh, the, is really ecstatically violent in a way that, like, the movie's is, having the movie's yeah. having fun the, with oh, gore. the
1: gore. The gore is spectacular. Yeah, there's you know blood. There, there's a, so. I love movies where the blood gets so thick on the floor people slip on it. Yeah. Oh, that happens in this movie. There's just yeah. intestines spilling everywhere. There's this
0: great sequence where someone is trapped under the floorboards of a house and Leatherface is like using a chainsaw like an upside down shark fin yeah, to yeah. like chase after them. Sawing like that whole bit's the floor. great. There's a bit where he uses a chainsaw almost like you would use it in like a shuffleboard to like cut off someone's foot. <laughs> like there's some amazing shit. Like there's some really, really good gore gags here. And I feel like some of it's handled poorly, but I feel like everything getting up there is basically just like, here's why it's okay to kill all these people. Because yeah. it's a slasher movie, and we're not, this is, this. if Jason Voorhees lived in Texas, this would be the film. That's what we're reduced pretty, to. We don't really have any big ideas uh, anymore. It's basically just, we're going to give you an excuse to go, I, Leatherface is killing people, and I don't yeah. feel too bad. That's kind I, of it. We're, we're just detract you know we're sort of desensitizing
1: what i find really curious is uh you know just sort of looking at the long view of uh sort of building developers as villains in movies yeah sure. uh that's that was really common throughout the 1980s and the building sure. developers were always seen as these like uh reaganite uh sort of up-and-coming yuppie types yeah uh, you think of like uh daniel clamp from gremlins 2 as an yeah. example of that or uh, yeah any number of examples besides
0: yeah uh, the battery's not included, is the example I always think Yeah, there think you of. go. Yeah. We're, we're
1: going to buy your town, and we're going to put a shopping mall here. And, that, yeah, and we're if you don't get out of there, we're going to hire
0: the... local criminals to yeah, beat a, yeah. beat you up. That kind of thing. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. So yeah. greedy landowners was a big common theme throughout some uh, yeah. horror films of the 1980s, and and honestly,
0: just throughout history. Honestly, well, yes. greedy landowners are a lot of, and that's that's a lot of westerns. That's yeah, a lot but, of.
1: Uh, but what I find really curious is. Uh, it was always sort of like uh, this Frank Capra esque uh, fighting the man th- mm-hmm. a theme to those films in the nineteen eighties. How was the the yuppies trying to buy out the the local uh, the local well meaning townsfolk? Yeah, folk. yeah. The, you're, you're George Bailey's, and uh, then you fast forward to uh, this new Texas Chainsaw, and now the bad guys are the ones on the extreme left. The, mm. the wicked landowners have sort of changed hands all of a sudden, and and the ones who are now defending it are sort of the ones who grew up in the Reagan era. Maybe like, like the, yeah. the, the, the political shoe is on the other foot with Texas Chainsaw.
0: You're, you're right, but I do think the underlying basic message is that uh, money corrupts, and Absolutely. the fact that they it's have there. that much I'm money. F- I find re- it curious me, that. Yeah.
1: Uh, we're getting the same story with a complete one eighty on the, the political viewpoint.
0: Yeah, it is it is weird to think about though, because when you think about like a slasher villain, you you were talking about how a lot of slasher villains have an element of the righteous to them. Yeah. Like I am entitled to these murders because mm. you are karmically wrong. Mm. Um even if it's, you know,
1: basic uh, moralizing, like, don't right. do drugs. But,
0: and, but it's also worth noting that because they're killing everybody, every single one of these slasher villains has a skewed moral compass. And that skewed moral compass could be simply a political line, mm. you know? It could be conservative versus liberal. Mm. It could be uh, Democrat versus Republican, for example. Like You can have that mm. be that sort of uh, principled excuse, yeah, for this completely irresponsible <clears throat> violence, um, I don't know. I guess I don't see that as being off limits.
1: Well, it's not off limits. You know, uh, it's just sort of a curious way to see how horror films are, uh, yeah. are evolving and the sorts of uh, people we use as uh, sort of the raw meat in these yeah. movies, and the sorts of people we have as the killers and yeah. what they represent and. I mean, slasher films are uh, in in a way just sort of these like nihilistic violence fantasies, aren't they? We want, them, yeah. we want to see violence done to people. Maybe we even have fantasies about doing violence, <laughs> and the, the the movies let us sort of have an outlet where um, uh, we can sort of like see our fantasies realized, uh, yeah. even our violent, most base fantasies. And yeah. uh, I I just find it odd that the fantasy seems to be changing. Uh, the fantasy changes as time changes.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: it's kind of interesting to see it change within the, over the course of a single film series yeah it's easy for texas chainsaw to do that because it doesn't have any kind of like single solid continuity they can mm-hmm. restart it and do whatever they want with this yeah. series so long as there's a big guy with a flesh mask killing people
0: with a chainsaw yeah you kind of get away in, with in it texas. Yeah. i don't know i was thinking about like there's another film that came out it's not a slasher movie but it's one of the, the there aren't a lot of horror movies that are kind of taking aim at liberals mm. uh get out did yeah uh, very okay. successfully i feel um a movie that uh, tried to have its cake and eat it too, and portray like both liberals and conservatives as the whole world is kind of a joke. Everyone's full yeah. of shit. It was the hunt? Oh, there he it Was is Betty God. Gilpin? I, I didn't see that. I heard like a no, lot it of people. Kind of, a lot of people kind of really hit, didn't hit appreciate. Right. A lot of people really didn't appreciate the jokes at the cost at the expense of liberals in that mm-hmm. movie. Whereas I think a lot of them actually landed pretty well uh, because that whole movie is like. Um, it's like a Brian Trenford Smith thing. Like everyone in it is a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I can handle, you know, a couple of pot shots in my direction because everyone's getting hit with something. Um. But yeah, this is just an incredibly, it's, it's frustrating because I feel like if this had been focused, mm, uh, if this had actually like, didn't just have like themes that pop up from the story, but actually like cared about some of them. Yeah, this could actually have been a lot stronger. Maybe more responsible, depending on what tack they took, but it could have been a lot more focused. Because right now, it just feels like we just made a slick slasher, and if there was other shit in the script, we filmed it, but we didn't really do anything with it. Yeah, but again, it just it just feels the the movie feels ignorant, <laughs> but. It's also a very entertaining slasher, just on a pure fundamental. Here's a, a killer. Level, here's yeah. a killer with a chainsaw level. I think on that level, if you can enjoy that, uh, you can enjoy this film. And in fact, I actually think it's actually far from the worst in the franchise. A lot of people are saying, oh, this is the end." And I'm like, "Oh my god, did you see the? Like, oh, did no, you see Leatherface?
1: No, no. What the hell? Th- this." I mean this whole series has a really bad track record I love yeah. the original a lot yeah, and that but it's second spotty. that second one's really kooky
0: but yeah, yeah. I can appreciate why people and, like the remake a lot it's not my jam but and, yeah
1: and I enjoy Texas Chainsaw 3D the one that's yeah. like it's the the, the the closest to an actual movie we've gotten out of the series. Yeah. Uh, the rest are all pretty trashy. Yeah,
0: they're all just all over the place. Mm. Whether you like them or not, they're all over the place. There's no consistency here. Mm. Inconsistency is the consistency, and I can't really get all up so in I, arms I, about it. It's most My, certainly, by far, it's not the worst like, in this series. Surely, I, I know some have been really mad about this movie, and and again, there are really good reasons to be, but um, surely your standards have been lowered by now, right? <laughs> If you care enough about Texas Chainsaw to have a strong opinion about it, surely you've seen the movies and you realize that we kind of of need to take what we can get right now if we're going to get a Texas Chainsaw. And I think this is far from the worst thing we could get. Um, Anyway, it's a mixed bag for sure, but I actually ended up uh, appreciating it on a very superficial level. All right. Uh, Um, It's...
1: Uh, s- saying it's not as bad as some of the worst films in the Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre is pretty slight praise.
0: Uh, like I said, standards have been lowered.
1: I, I think uh, I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Next Generation really is just utterly abysmal.
0: Oh, but it's fun though. <laughs> and, and it turns
1: out uh, that the murder family was part of this weird government conspiracy. Yeah, they were working for There's the Illuminati the weird, whole time. Weird.
0: Stu- it's a, seeing it, Renee, it, it Zellweger, out shit seeing that Renee Zellweger. Stupid. Seeing Renee Zellweger. Just at, there's at some point in the movie where Renee Zellweger, he has been kidnapped as he's seen all this horrible shit, and at one point she just gets up and says, "Fuck it, I'm done." She, she just, just leaves. walks yeah. she just walks out and Leatherface is like, Aah! and she's just like, "Sit your ass down now." And Leatherface is like, "Sorry." <laughs> like she just we, leaves. <laughs> she just leaves. That's love is so much of that. Um. Dude, but yeah. Matthew McConaughey has a, a
1: mechanical leg. He with. He's a with, cyborg. With a, a, a like a Nintendo controller.
0: He's like a cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Why do people not talk about that movie more? All right. Anyway, that's it for Texas Chainsaw. Um. Let's talk about a new thriller that's on Hulu that we both watched. All right. That, uh, that's this week. That's this week. This, we're, 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 gonna, we're gonna bounce we're, around. Yeah. We're gonna this this around. is for
1: the last two weeks. They're so all so out there.
0: Like, uh, right, Texas Chainsaw is right. on Netflix. On Hulu, we have a new. A uh, thriller called No Exit, uh, which is a, a claustrophobic thriller about a young woman who is in rehab. She finds out that her mother is in the hospital and probably dying, so she breaks out of rehab, steals a car, but before she can get very far, there is a there is a blizzard. Hmm. She's trapped in the snow, and she has to basically wait out the storm she, she in, a, to, in a uh, rest area, basically. She has
1: to enact the film The Hateful Eight, uh, which I, I can't comment on the film The Hateful Eight, because I still work for a yeah. filmmaker. But, but
0: structurally, uh, it's about a whole bunch of people who might have mysterious pasts yeah, tra- who, tra- tra- who are trapped in a in the snow Trapped storm.
1: in a snow, snowy cabin. Yeah. Um, there's, there's even a cup of poison yeah. coffee. Um, yeah.
0: If you uh, Honestly, if you, if you want, if you wanna, I, I will go this far. I think they're all just ripping off the, the uh, Sylvester Stallone movie Detox. Oh, I didn't see Detox. AKA The Outpost. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sylvester Stallone plays uh, a guy who was on the hunt for a serial killer. The serial killer killed his fiancée or wife, I can't remember. Um, and uh, he falls pretty hard into substance abuse. And he is checked into a uh, a rehab clinic run by, I think, Chris Christofferson. Yeah. Uh, and uh, basically, you're all isolated out in the middle of nowhere, no cell phones, no nothing, uh, and it's a whole bunch of former cops, and they're all being attacked by another serial killer. And the cast in that movie is absurd, by the way. Let me let me just. Uh... Well, this was
1: sort of the golden age of. Uh, it was the '70s. You said right? No,
0: no, no. This was the early 2000s. Wait, what? Yeah, this what? movie. Nobody talked about this. Right. So it's uh, sorry. It's uh, it's Chris Christopherson, Tom Berenger. Charles S. Dutton Polly Walker Jeffrey Wright Robert Patrick Uh, This is all Rock Solid casting Uh, We've got uh, Stephen Lang uh, Courtney B. Vance Sean Patrick Flannery Dina Meyer Oh I like her That's a good (laughs) cast Mm -hmm. And this movie just Nobody (laughs) saw it It's fine It's not particularly good But it's out there And technically It's the only horror movie Special Stallone ever made So Boom. Enjoy. But uh, in any case, we're back in this format now. People are stuck in this snowstorm. There's probably a murderer out there. uh... She's stuck in this uh, rest area with a small, small. Group of potential suspects.
1: Yeah, if 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 it were a little bit more ambitious, it would have been like ten suspects. Turns out yeah. there's only
0: four, and yeah. uh, which is enough for a ninety minute movie. Yeah, but, you it, know.
1: which means we're going to be in and out and pretty quick, and yeah. they're also going to have to give away the truth pretty quick because yeah. she can kind of narrow it's down. There's only, to only the so suspects. many people it can
0: be. So basically, so
1: uh, Daniel Ramirez, David Rystall, uh, mm-hmm. Dale Dickey, and Dennis Hayesbert play the mm-hmm. potential suspects.
0: Uh, uh, then, Havana Rose Liu uh, plays the lead. Darby. And
1: I just saw her in a film called The Skies Everywhere. She, oh, she cool. was like the uh, star student That the main character was like yeah. Constantly being bested by And yeah. ended up kind of developing a friendship Yeah I like her him. a
0: lot um, So anyway so she uh, goes out to try to find some cell phone reception So you can check in on her mom And that's when she finds out that One of the people who is trapped in this rest area Drives a van And in the back of that van is a kidnapped young girl yeah, so she, A
1: 10 year old girl tied up in the van And
0: there's nothing she she can go, do. she doesn't
1: know who drives the van So she has to go yeah. in and just start Start eyeballing people. Start asking Um, questions. She starts asking questions. The interrogation doesn't last very long. No. I think it should be the bulk of the movie where she's trying to figure it out. I kind of
0: wish this, this is one of those movies, this is a perfectly, this is a perfectly decent setup for a thriller, Mm. but I feel like this one should have been a half hour Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode where it's basically what happens is People are stuck in a rest area. Someone goes outside, realizes that someone's kidnapped. Mm. They don't have a weapon. They don't have, they can't call anybody, but they're trying to figure out who it is. And there's a big chunk of this movie where they're all playing cards at a table and they're all and the, just and they're kind playing of feeling BS. so yeah. that's you know plays uh, into it. a bullshit. Yeah. By the way, is a is a card game where everyone is dealt out the whole deck. Yeah, you you play
1: cards face down and you say what they are.
0: Yeah. Uh, and you can be and you can be bluffing. and yeah. if somebody calls your bluff, you have to have go to in order. So you pick, pick up, a two, pick the then, deck a th- and, then a three, uh, then a four, and if you don't have a four, you have to lie and if anyone knows you're lying because they've been keeping track or they have all the fours or whatever like Mm. that, they can say bullshit, and if that's the case, you pick up all the cards, and now... The whole point is to get rid of all your cards, but now you have the whole deck in your hand. Um, So it's basically a whole game that's based around the concept of bluffing from poker, Mm. uh, which is a perfectly decent way to set up a suspense sequence where people are trying to figure out who's full of shit right now and who's potentially in danger. And I'm like, I kind of wish this had been the whole thing, just like trying to figure out over a poker game who here is a kidnapper. Like, that's a solid, suspenseful premise, but we have to keep going. Mm. And um, I will say this. I don't think this movie outlasts its welcome. It's thin, mm. like, it's a thin premise. It's pretty straightforward, and there's definitely a, t- a temptation here to try to push it as far as it can go. And instead, I think they understand that we are we got limited space, yeah, you got a well, limited budget, and we're just they, gonna keep this yeah, they, coming along.
1: They clearly had a limited budget. I, yeah. I don't mind movies that have small casts and limited sets, especially no? if there's you know creative filmmaking. Uh, one of the the conceits is. The women's room in this rest stop is under construction, which uh, avails potential weapons. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a fun creative. Concept. Also, different. Also, to different uh,
0: entrance to the building. Yeah. Which is, yeah. But, yeah. So yeah, uh,
1: we don't get a good sense as to sort of like the layout of the building. That would have been nice. you can have like mm. hallways and chases. Well, it's also a pretty small building.
0: Stop. It's basically yeah. just a
1: rest stop. Uh, you can tell it's a really low budget though, because the, uh, the early scenes, uh, we actually get to see her in rehab and how how much trouble she's having when she gets the bad news. Uh, takes a little t- five minutes too long and yeah. then so and she has to break out of rehab and yeah. the the car sequences that when she's driving away mm-hmm. are like some of the worst CGI they scene. look like it looks they like, they like look, a cartoon it, like it's
0: yeah. it, they're trying to do this like overhead shot and it's like yeah no I in I theory that's a good shot In practice, you needed more money on that shot. Yeah. The the, the effects they
1: used to realize just the cars driving. Honestly, it's the sort
0: of thing that might have been better for this to air on Hulu because you're not necessarily watching it in the best presentation. (laughs) The smaller TV, the better for this one, maybe, because in the big screen, that probably would have been really hard to hide.
1: I I wish they had brought something kind of original to this. Uh, mm. They reveal who the bad guy is pretty like before the halfway mark. Well, and, and it's then, pretty soon in the movie. I will say this:
0: you you figure out like it, it, this is one of those movies where the biggest twist they can do is the red herring is the bad guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, but then
0: there's more to it. I will say this: there are some twists, including I I thought there was like. They keep referencing a character who I thought was going to show up and like, oh, there's going to be a big twist about who this... No, that never happens. Um, there's a few other twists. Ooh, is, it's he, a...
1: is he named Bruno? <laughs> we
0: don't talk, we about, don't, Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Um, but um, there are twists. There are additional twists. But the first twist is, seems pretty obvious. And, um, and the, the twists aren't terribly clever, though. No, they make sense. There's, they're, 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 they're valid twists. I, I feel but like, like there could
1: have been a lot more going on. There could have been extra characters. There, yeah. there was a lot more, even in, uh, with a limited budget. There was a lot yeah. more ambition that could be, could have been brought to this. I was thinking, as it stands, it's it's pretty
0: pat. Yeah. Uh, I, some yeah.
1: some of the violence is fun. Uh, yeah, I feel this like is good. it take the violence takes up too much time. Uh, yeah. And, you know, after a while, and, and the, when we finally sort of get down to sort of the vo- last violent scenes, and we see like the the monstrous character finally be as monstrous as they're going to be, mm-hmm. uh, they're not really scary. No. I didn't feel that sort of like dread or suspense. They're just no, sort of walking really around doing here. some
0: violence. I was thinking about because I was watching this movie, and I'm like, "This is perfectly decent. This is not a bad movie." But I'm trying to figure out why isn't this great? Well, because it's me- nearly decent. Because there's nothing wrong with the screenplay, really. The cast is fine. The cast is excellent to doing their jobs perfectly well. Um, I'm trying to watch it, like, what is what is the difference between this and, like, maybe some of, like, the breakout crime-type movies mm-hmm. that we'd seen in maybe the 80s and the 90s, something like uh, Blood Simple or mm-hmm. uh, uh, Bound, for example. And I was realizing that what's really missing here is... A, a, a filmmaking personality. I'm not really getting from the because this movie again this is this is an airplane novel. Yeah, this is in fact it's based on a novel. It's 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 a pulpy thriller that you read for fun. There's some thrills in it, some suspense, couple of twists, and then we're out the door. There's not much more to it than that. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But it's a little unambitious. The reason to make this into a movie is to have fun telling it, and I never get that. Hitchcockian ambition In terms of how we're going to make the suspense play out I never get that Sam Raimi-ish like excitement about how we're going to do things visually. Mm -hmm. I don't get a sense of like a Barry Sonnenfeld, there's like sense of humor to it. What is the selling point here um, beyond just, this is a decent premise for a thriller. I don't see it.
1: The film I was going to compare it to was uh, uh, yet uh, another film that we just saw recently that also makes use of a nail gun as a weapon. Oh yeah. Uh, Steven Soderbergh's Kimmy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steven Soderbergh's Kimmy is great. Really good film. Uh, And Steven Soderbergh has a good sense of place and character and pacing. He adds a lot of little details that the audience is kind of looking for and reading. You're engaged in a certain kind of way Mm. that we don't have here. There aren't little clues dropped around. The characters, frankly, are pretty off the rack. There's not some sort of quirk about them. And this is no fault of the actors. I actually like the cast. Uh, There's just not... like anything that's too unique about them. No, they're, there's they're, nothing they're, too unique enough about the screen. Somewhat block.
0: archetypal. Yeah. Yeah. The,
1: the characters are archetypal. The story is archetypal. Yeah. Uh, but it's told with verse. There's no filmmaker filmmaking uh, panache. Yeah. There's no element like of creativity that the filmmaker is bringing. Into. And no exit. And, no, that's and Kimmy, we're exit. saying it's Kimmy, well. it is. That's, yeah. that's why Kimmy is such a, a quaker, yeah. and this one kind of isn't. And
0: to be fair, I think you can go too far in the other direction. I think the reason why the film Bad Times at the El Royale didn't really... Oh, that's find... like
1: quirk overdrive. And yeah, yeah.
0: The, because that movie is... The plot of that movie... Tell me the plot of that movie. I fucking dare you. Like, There's just there's so many characters, and there's so many different plot lines, that it's kind of hard to get a read on what's happening. You can remember different individual elements, but keeping track of it all... Is kind of a futile exercise. Mm. The whole point of that movie is to basically brandish as many cinematic tricks yeah. as as I think it was Drew Goddard who did that one, right? Uh, as as they can, and there's a lot of really memorable shots and um, exciting like camera reveals and flashbacks to tell stories and things, and all those things are really really fun. But they're hiding the fact that the movie itself, the story itself, needs all of that. To to work Because without it it would be preposterous Here we, we needed More of a balance I think And I think that would have taken this thing from Pretty good Not a bad film no exit mm. Totally worth seeing if you like thrillers And you got 90 minutes uh, But there's definitely something holding it back From being truly great And I just think that it needs that energy From a filmmaker who just knows how to tell a story In a distinct way and is really excited to do so, and I just feel instead we got something that was mm. perfectly decent, very accomplished, very workmanlike, but never stands out. I, there's no there's no reason to go. Oh my God, you got to see this. Yeah. Instead, yeah. we so can say if you enjoy thrillers, this is fine.
1: It's it's fine. It's yeah. it's it's fodder. It's the background. It's the bottom shelf of blockbuster. It's yeah. you know. D- two two stars, five out of ten. It, there's there's yeah. really nothing extraordinary about it. And that's not something I can feel passionate about yeah. one way or the other. I, I'd give it a little higher than that I think it's fine. It doesn't mean like, it's a, a recommend. It's, it's
0: more like a two and a half star, three star for it, me. But regardless, it's, it's fine. Yeah.
1: Professionally made. It's not, inco- apart from yeah. the car stuff, it's not incompetent. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, it, it's watchable. It's yeah. not one of those things that, you know, w- will really rub you the wrong way. I like Dennis Haysbert a lot. I'll, he's always, oh, he's also, great. Always a pleasure to see Dennis uh, Dale Haysbert. Dale Dickey
0: is a great actor. People don't talk about it. They, they, mm-hmm. She doesn't get enough credit, honestly. Yeah, and she, she was it. really
1: great in this, and we got, like, one scene of backstory, which I really liked yeah. with her. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a pity that it didn't do much of anything besides.
0: Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, tell me about... Let's shift gears a little bit here. All right. Tell, there's a dog movie. There is a dog movie. Tell me about the movie with the dog in it. Uh,
1: the movie with the dog in it is called Dog. It's, well, that tracks. It uh, it's about a, a big, fluffy, lovable animal and a dog. Uh, the big, fluffy, lovable animal is Channing Tatum. He is. Thank, thank you, thank, thank you, you, thank you, thank uh, you, Channing Tatum, who stars in this movie and also co-directed. Uh, no, no, I didn't yeah, know that. That's yeah, funny. Channing okay. Tatum is one of, uh, one of the directors with uh, Reed uh, Carolyn. Okay the story is, uh, the, he plays an ex soldier who's trying to get back into the military, but he's been injured. He's uh, not, not allowed back in because of, for mental reasons. Mm. Uh, and if he can pull off this one mission, uh, this one favor for a, 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 fallen comrade of his, then he might be able to get back in. The mission is, uh, his comrade has fallen and his trained battlefield attack dog, uh, has to be accompanied to his funeral. It's currently at an army base and his funeral is uh, several states away. And so yeah. he has to go on a road trip with this dog. Yeah. The dog is traumatized, however, and uh, has to wear a muzzle. Mm. Uh, can't really be put out near people. It will attack at the sign of a... You know, when provoked and, you know, if can't touch its ears, it'll attack people. Uh, and over the course of this uh, road trip, uh, Channing Tatum learns to bond with the animal, learns mm. to see that the animal has, you know, like, sort of a lot of personality and kind right. of... They use their uh, their present their presence in each other's company to sort of he- mutually
0: heal. So we're just sort of f- f- combining the road trip movie yeah, uh, and the is... gu- guy and his dog movie. Yeah, th- this and, is yeah. this is the same story as Sonic the
1: Hedgehog. You know, this <laughs> is there's is a c- complete Pat uh, storytelling here, and it's also. Uh, has a really, really, really laid-back quality. It's almost a stoner movie. Okay. And how like l- little drive and direction this movie has. That's not necessarily a bad. No, thing. it's it's actually like... like quite relaxing. Okay. So the trauma really, really underplayed. The yeah. pain, pain and suffering, really, really underpaid. There's a, a yeah. lot of sort of little vignettes where they stop that are really kind yeah. of
0: cliched uh they stop at the world's biggest ball of twine
1: no but uh he he's like this like stern military guy yeah. and he has to drive through portland he's like okay g- we're gonna take a break in portland <laughs> and he goes into a portland bar where i like pick up girls and they're all like oh so how does it feel to murder for the state and he's like oh, well shit i thought i'd have some more luck here and he ends up <laughs> like going to this like Almost having a threesome with these two like tantric studies women who are like going to okay. heal him through sexual powers. Like yeah, I like I like this. He's a complete meathead. That's hilarious. Uh, there's a, a comedic bit which seems like out of a Tom and Jerry movie where oh. he pretends to be blind and the, the walk the dog is his oh. guide dog so he oh, can get a free hotel
0: room in a fancy oh, hotel. Oh, that sounds terrible.
1: And, 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 and you know he's of course taken
0: a task for this. Well, good because that's fucked like up.
1: How does it compare to... I'm reminded
0: you Yeah.
1: Sorry, uh, I'll I'll let you go. No, just... And through all of these vignettes... uh, And he's also talking about, like, trying to reunite with his ex-wife and his daughter, who Ah. he's estranged from.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, We see his wife in one scene. She has no lines. Ah. She's played by the actress Corianca Kilker. um, Oh,
0: from uh, The New World. From The New World, yeah. She played
1: Pocahontas in The New World. And... um, uh, she's a really great actress. She is. I, I don't know why they hired her and just cut all her scenes. Uh, uh, surely I, there
0: was more there. I, it looked, one can only imagine. This movie
1: feels like a lot was cut out a- along the way, just because mm-hmm. you know, we sort of there's a lot of jumps in logic. Interesting. Uh, and because of that relaxed attitude, it feels like there's nothing at stake here. Yeah. Like, okay, he's going to deliver the dog or not. There's not a big weepy moments. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of emotions. It's really just sort of laid back, and that's a fine way for a film to function. Sure. If you're looking for a film to be a balm and to sort of relax yeah. you a little bit, this will hit the spot yeah 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 uh but it, it it's not even like sort of cute and lovey and a a dog film ordinarily yeah. is yeah. The, even the dog is sort of like laid back and, and it's, seems not, on it's, it's not like a, it's not
0: like a and it's not like a super depressing dog film like uh, no Marley although, and May or...
1: although uh what's at stake here is if after the funeral, uh, Channing Tatum delivers this dog, and then he has to deliver the dog to another army base where it's going to be put to sleep. Oh, so that's that's part of his mission. It's like, okay, take this dog to a oh, funeral, and then, and then execute no, the dog. That's
0: no, do not do don't do it, Channing.
1: Because they, they can't,
0: you know, they can't change the dog. The dog is attacking people. Channing, I, it's not too late to change it. I don't know how it ends. If it ends badly, it's not too late to change it, Channing. Make sure the dog's okay.
1: I think there are even some posters that say, yeah, yeah see, dog. The dog is okay. Yeah, like, the, the, the dog doesn't a, die. There's a trailer where
0: it says, there's like, rated PG-13. Don't worry, the dog doesn't die. In theaters on Friday. <laughs> so, like, they say it <laughs> so in the trailer. It it's not as well. They want people really to know. Like, really they, just, they don't want to attract it. They don't want, to like, people not to come because they're afraid of what the movie's going to do. Yeah. The,
1: the dog quite frankly looks a little weird to me like oh, I, yeah. I, the the breed of dog that they chose like has uh, this kind of rodent look to it it weird. looks like a coyote uh, okay which you know ordinarily in these movies you get sort of like a big lovable dog something you get a hug yeah this one's kind of like wiry and scary looking to me well, uh, do, you, do you
0: remember max this is the movie i was kind of thinking of when you're talking about how the dogs look yeah max is a big
1: huggable dog yeah max and, max and is a movie it's really similar to max because yeah. max is another story about a dog that is suffering from battle time or uh, yeah, battlefield trauma.
0: Yeah, the they Max. If you if you recall, was made money. Uh, Max was a story about a, a, a dog who was enlisted in the military, and that his handler uh, dies, hmm. and uh, the dog is considered pretty much like useless to the army, and it ends up going to that guy's family, who are also traumatized. Their son died, and they're going through a lot right now. And two thirds of that movie is a very serious story about healing. Hmm. Uh, there's a really horrible sequence like horrible in like an intended way where like the dad is like hates this dog so much because he represents like why are you alive and my son is dead that kind of shit and then it ends in like a Steven Seagal movie because there's like drug runners in town and the mad dog has to help and be a soldier and stuff and it's really fucking weird and then there was a sequel
1: I didn't see Max 2 (laughs) Max 2
0: White House Hero Max 2 White House Hero uh, went straight to video and it is Probably the very first film to, you know, like in, in, in movies where, uh, they have to show the president, but it's a fictional president, but it's contemporary. So they try to make the president seem kind of like the president we've got in the white house right now. Like it looks a little bit like George H.W. Bush or it looks a little bit like Barack Mm -hmm. Obama. Uh, this was probably the first one to make the president look and feel a little bit like Donald Trump. Wow. The plot of the movie is the dog. Part of the Secret Service detail uh, is on maternity leave.
1: The dog is on maternity so leave, so they have
0: to re-enlist Max. Oh no! <laughs> and Max ends up ends up befriending essentially Baron Trump, wow. and ends up hanging out with Baron Trump. And at the at a big peace conference between Trump and Putin. <laughs> Oh
1: wow! This I gotta see this now. In Baron, the, the Baron
0: Trump kid and Putin's like adorable daughter start having like this kind of like you know middle school romance, and the dog helps those two kids, the kids of Trump and Putin, uh, make sure that Trump and Putin can declare world peace. Uh. That's the fucking movie. The movie is insane. <laughs> The movie, has, the movie is completely, it, the movie is living in a complete fantasy world where everything was like normal in the Trump, it came out like the year Trump was elected, they that? had no idea yet, it's fucking incredible, it's such a weird film, you need to see it, they completely forgot about all the intensity of the original Max, and they just turned it into this weird airbud kind of vibe, it's super fucking weird. God. Uh,
1: no intensity in the movie Dog, okay. Uh, ch- Channing Tatum as a director seems to have taken a lot of cues from uh, not Magic Mike but Magic Mike XXL oh okay which uh, is a movie about how fun it is to have fun Uh, it's (laughs) That movie's about no, it's nothing. There's nothing going on in that movie. I've still it's just never seen fun that. to watch these guys I can't believe dance I've never seen Magic, and earn money Mike, and do fun things and hang out. And I'm have embarrassed bodies.
0: I've never seen that movie. I need to see and that movie. It's like we're,
1: we're gonna go on a road trip for our last last dance, and we're gonna stop and dance along the way and have a lot of fun dancing. And what happens? They do that. That's that's, that's 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 the story made of the movie. For <laughs> me. They made that movie for me, and I
0: still haven't watched it. There's so a really
1: amazing, amazing scene where uh, Joe Manganiello, he, who's in, from the first one too,
0: yeah,
1: uh, feels like he's lost his mojo. Yeah, he's like oh, I just can't seduce women anymore with my dancing. And they're they're at like a rest stop. They're on the road trip, getting gas. He's like, well, you know what? I see a woman in the rest stop. She's the clerk. At, like she's the one selling them chips and stuff. Like, go dance. Go do what you do. And he does it. He goes in, he does this whole dance routine. He pulls bottles of water and pours them over himself. Yeah. And the clerk is just sort of, like, completely unimpressed. <laughs> just like, a little bit creeped out by what's going on. And he rips off his shirt and he's, like, sexy hunk of meat, Joe Manganiello. And, and then he just leaves. He's like, yeah,
0: still got it.
1: <laughs> he gets no reaction from her at all. <laughs> That's the... That's the vibe i'm getting from dog it's like let's just hang out and have yeah. a good time
0: that's not a bad that is not a bad aesthetic for a director mm-hmm. to have yeah, you can yeah. that's a totally that, we need movies like that so good for them um let's see what do we got here why don't you tell me about uh why don't you tell me about the cursed so while we're on dog movies
1: uh well this is a, a werewolf movie close enough uh the cursed is is a werewolf movie it takes yeah. place uh in Uh, 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 takes place in uh, late 19th century I think it's an American colony and uh, maybe it's a British colony Uh, but a lot of uh, colonial times a lot lot of colonialists have served their their little uh, little village and wouldn't you know it there's also a There's a local Roma village nearby and, uh, would you know, the colonialists just want to harass them for racist reasons Ah. Uh, and in, uh, Uh. in an incredibly harrowing single lockdown shot, uh, from the perspective of the leader of the colonialists, Uh uh, we see the colonialists run in murder, assault and burn down the village in a single take. Wow just single lockdown shot from this. And it's like impeccably choreographed where you see like little bits of action all throughout the screen. It's wow. like a, a, a violent pillaging version of a Jacques Tati shot. Wow. Uh, th- this, this is a great looking movie. Just okay. sort of the, the weird haze and a lot of the monster stuff is yeah. really cool. Uh, and, uh, one of the horrible things they do is they, uh, find the, uh, sort of the, the two leaders of, of the Roma village, uh, one guy, they cut off his hands and feet, stuff them with straw, and put him up as a scarecrow. Oh God! Uh, and the other one, they Dudes. and the other one, they bury alive right by his feet. Uh, you commit an act of violence like that, you're going to incur a curse because uh, that's uh, what what happens is they bury a, a, a woman alive, and she's buried with this set of silver uh, sort of werewolf teeth with like little mm-hmm. um, little runes etched on them, right? And Shortly after this act of violence goes down, the colonialists' children all begin dreaming about it. And they all begin dreaming about the teeth. And they sort of gather in this sort of ethereal way to this gravesite, which they didn't witness. And they dig up the teeth. One of them puts them in. No, uh, Is suddenly, like, weirdly possessed. Bites another one of the kid and one of the other kids. The werewolf curse has begun.
0: Okay. Uh, Based on a true story.
1: About the I mean, teeth, I mean, anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you may as well. This sort of violence yeah.
0: did happen. No, 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 not the uh, historical violence. I didn't mean, that. yeah. yeah uh, I just mean hmm. you got to start the 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 werewolf curse somewhere. I guess it's always a little elaborate. Well, I guess, and, and yeah. you know
1: the 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 sort of connection to the Roma community and werewolfism, you know, goes back at least to the Wolf Man, yeah, uh, the nineteen forty one film that is, and yeah. uh, it, and you know, of course, it's a uh, a story of cultural vengeance isn 't it uh how this werewolf is sort of like stalking around and taking out its victims uh This is one of those horror films where nobody is safe you're not really sure yeah. uh, you know you when you think somebody is actually you know we've been following them for a long time and yeah. you think that surely this to person gonna will be out. fine they're the protagonist and, or, and, or they're you know, we've, decent we've or... been following this person for the bulk of the film and oh no they're taken out all of a sudden so yeah. that that's always a uh, if you can strike the balance right that's a good way yeah. to keep the the audience off balance but you can
0: do that without feeling like you're constantly betraying the audience yeah, it's and, tricky but yeah or that's like, cool or like
1: there's no stakes um, Yeah. Yeah, the uh, let me look up the cinematographer. Uh, Sean Ellis uh, wrote, directed, and shot this movie. Oh, wow. Well. Uh, and... Yeah, some of the these sort of gorgeous hazy exteriors I would compare yeah. almost to uh, Sleepy Hollow. Oh, uh, well, that's a compliment. movie. Uh, yeah. Just it, think of like a daytime version of Sleepy Hollow. where Everything's mm-hmm. just sort of hazy and yeah. sort of this really dreadful atmosphere. How,
0: how does it? Uh, how does it? Like we, we've talked about this before because there just there aren't a lot of truly great werewolf movies. Uh-huh. Um, how is this as a werewolf movie in terms of how well, it tackles werewolf as an idea as a theme? I think as the, a...
1: the myth is simultaneously a little oblique because, like, the actual rules are never laid out, mm. and uh, and at the same time it's really kind of predictable, like yeah. uh, who's the werewolf? Well, it kind of doesn't really matter who the werewolf is because it's really easy to figure out, and there's uh, this sort of Van Helsing character, this investigator, is trying yeah. to figure out who the werewolf is, so there's a lot of scenes of him suspiciously examining people with bite marks and saying oh yeah. well, no, there's something really wrong is happening here, Right. and uh, that that's more designed to let the dread grow than to introduce new kinds of like double backs or elements to the werewolf curse uh i'm willing to forgive a lot of banality if the filmmaking is strong okay and i feel like in the curse the filmmaking is strong
0: kind of the opposite problem we had with like uh uh, with no no exit exit. yeah Yeah. where filmmaking is strong enough you can forgive that it's kind of which is my point yeah if the filmmaking was stronger and no exit it would be a lot more forgivable yeah
1: yeah if they were doing something incredibly stylish or it was really really atmospheric or they're taking time with like some interesting character stuff the, the characters do move in sort of a mass in this movie. I feel mm. like nobody really emerges as, like, the one standout hero or villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do get a few good glory shots of the werewolf, and the werewolf is very odd-looking. Oh. It's uh, unlike werewolves I've seen in the past. It's That's sort exciting. of like this this lanky, hairless thing that oh. almost doesn't look like a wolf. It just looks like a monster.
0: Well, that still, uh, that still sounds scary.
1: Yeah, yeah, and... and and it plays fair with the monster in that it doesn't show it too much. That's always a... Mm. That can be death for a, a monster movie if you see it all the time. Yeah, you, know, like, you, well, you,
0: know, you don't want it to lose its specialness. Yeah. It's yeah. not about, like... You know, you want to have a couple of good glory shots of the thing unless the point is you never see it. Yeah. You want to at least get, like, one or two good shots of the monster. So like, ooh, that was worth the wait. Um, but, like... You also, if you show it constantly, it just becomes that thing in the room. It's not like, oh God, that. Yeah, you want to get used to it. I I always
1: hate movies and or scenes in horror movies where uh, somebody like gears up with a lot of guns to take on the monster or.
0: It's a
1: cliche. It's a big cliche. It also just shows that if the monster can be taken out by a gun, Mm -hmm. then it's not really that scary a monster anymore, is it?
0: Well, that's why I love when Sam Raimi does that in the Evil Dead movies, because they'll do that and then it doesn't work very well. Yeah. (laughs) It actually works really bad.
1: It works because Ash is a complete buffoon in those movies. Uh, or, Or another one where, like, the giant monster is, is running amok through a, a, a city and they call in the military. It's like, I don't want to see a tank take out a giant grasshopper. Yeah. I want the giant grasshopper to just trash everything. <laughs> we are helpless against the giant grasshopper. Don't even bother calling the military. It's right. dull. Uh, Godzilla is the only one that can still get, a, get away with that. Uh, so yeah, the, that they sort of are really coy with the monster that they don't really lay out something really clear that needs to happen. Yes. If you shoot him with, you know, stab him with this or shoot him with this, then he'll be dead. Uh, no, it's just about how the vengeance will play itself out mm. and how everybody's just pretty much fucked. And uh, I admire that. I admire yeah, that that sounds really good. So yeah, I I, I liked the curse. I thought it was, uh, cool. it was a pretty strong, pretty oh. strong as werewolf movies go
0: nice well um my next film that i'm going to review is a horror comedy and uh, this is the one i was talking about when i said it's south by southwest the movie uh-huh. uh because this very much feels if you're not familiar with south by southwest it's a it's a film festival in austin texas um and there's a lot of really good movies that have come out of there um but Although the occasional, like, really strong drama will come out of South by Southwest, they're usually best known for, like, finding weird, quirky stuff, Mm -hmm. like lots of eccentric genre films, that kind of thing. And so, a film in which the Foo Fighters play themselves as they're recording an album in a house with, like, a devil's altar underneath, and they find themselves composing, like, This 45 minute rock ballad to Satan that will open up a gate to hell and kill us all. Um, That's very South by Southwest. That's not quite the plot, but it's close. Um, Studio 666 is a film. It is uh, directed by BJ McDonald and it's uh, based on a story by Dave Grohl. Apparently Dave Grohl's story is, okay, so we're hanging out in this house. And we're making uh, an album, that, that and then is, I start going insane and killing is, all my band members. That is
1: the Foo Fighters playing ourselves. Yeah, are, are hanging out in a house. Yeah.
0: Foo Fighters, by the way, kudos to the Foo Fighters for like being around for like twenty fucking years now. Oh hell yeah! And like Dave, was... Dave Grohl is such a genial, charismatic yeah. fellow. He's so nice. Like I, I, I mean, I've never met him, but like he has this great persona where he came out of Nirvana. Uh-huh. He was the drummer for Nirvana, and then I've obviously kirk cobain died and that was a tragedy but like he took some time and then he built his own rock band and that rock band is they got great tunes Mm -hmm. they got a great sense of humor their music videos are really inventive and fun um he directed a pretty decent rock documentary called sound city about like five years ago which was about the history of this one um like recording space and all the people who recorded. it it's quite good um he always just seems affable and happy to be there. And that's totally the vibe of Studio 666. Studio 666 is a film that was made during the pandemic. Um, and yeah, Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters play themselves. And they are have to record, I think it's their like 10th studio album or whatever it is. And uh, they're like, we want to do it special. Like, hey, remember when Led Zeppelin recorded an album recorded in a castle with like wizards and dragons and shit? And <laughs> they're like, yeah, we got to do that. So they go record in a building where like there used to be this like one like big band that like died under mysterious circumstances on the grounds, and they're going to record there. One of the roadies immediately gets electrocuted to death, and Dave Grohl's like, no, we have to finish the album in this guy's honor. So they're all hanging out. Dave Grohl finds this, like, horrifying, like, ritual space in the basement that also has, like, a bunch of, like, recordings people have made mm-hmm. in the past, and he starts kind of plagiarizing them because he's got what he calls a musical constipation. <laughs> he gets every, every song he's, like, he's, he's like, okay, guys, I wrote a great new riff, and they're just like, that's, this is a call. Okay, well, what about this one? That's big meat. You've written these. <laughs> he can't think of his own songs. Um... And, uh, yeah, he starts gradually turning more and more evil. The song gets longer and longer and longer. And by the end of the film, the Foo Fighters are all being brutally murdered. <laughs> and it's cute.
1: Right, so Dave Grohl is murdering his own bandmates in some this of movie? Them. Okay. Some
0: of them. Some of them get murdered in other ways, but most of them get murdered by Dave Grohl, yeah. What's going on with the Foo Fighters? I don't know, <laughs> but they all seem game. They all seem, here's the deal. They all seem happy to be there. Okay. They all. Here's what, you know. What they're doing is they're all playing. There's um. There's one of my favorite music videos. It's not a great song. It's a cute song, but it's not a great song. Uh, is for Backstreets Back by the Backstreet Boys. Mm, and okay. if you've never seen this music video, you must. I
1: only saw it for the first time recently. Yeah, so it's yeah. a very
0: cute music video. The whole idea is the Backstreet Boys are in a van. The van breaks down, and they have to spend the night in a haunted castle. And while they're in the haunted castle, each one of them gets turned into a sexy version of a classic monster, and they dance. It's the whole fucking thing.
1: They're back, I hear.
0: It's great. It's it's wonderfully well designed. But that opening bit where they're all just like really cutesy, funny versions of themselves. No one's pretending to be a good actor. And it's like, well, I guess we gotta stay in this haunted castle, you guys. I don't know. Like, that's the level of acting we've got mm. in Studio 666. It's all very dippy, very broad. One of the members of the band is like playing himself. I don't know how... I don't know how true this persona this is. I don't follow them well enough. Maybe this is playing off of something people know. Mm. But one of the members of the band is like, all into new age shit. And like when they find like a disemboweled corpse in their backyard, he's like listening to the vibes of the corpse. Like this corpse has been here for two days. That's what the vibes are telling me. Uh, one of the guys, um, uh, is it Rami Jaffe? No, not him. Pat Smear. Pat Smear has been with the band for forever. Um, he's... A huge dork and like Everyone gets a room at the house Except him so he sleeps in the kitchen So he can be closer to the snacks Mm. By the way Sounds like a Scooby Doo episode It is! It's a Scooby Doo (laughs) thing but with ultra violence There's a chainsaw kill in this movie that is fucking epic Like gigantically epic Chainsaw kill That I've never quite seen before and it's huge And Mm -hmm. I had to to applaud in my chair Um, This movie stars In descending order of screen time Uh, The Foo Fighters. Uh Doritos.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Contractor Noel. I will not
0: bow to any sponsor. And and comedian Whitney Cummings. Um, (laughs) Doritos are in about half the scenes. They are constantly eating Doritos. Doritos are placed lovingly in various shots. I half expected Doritos to save the day at the end. There's so many goddamn Doritos in this movie. I'm reminded of when Joan Crawford... Uh, married like the president of pepsico and then every single movie she was in prominently featured pepsi i was like did dave grohl marry someone from from doritos from, actually pepsico oh, for, yeah. <laughs> they own doritos like did 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 he marry into pepsi did someone in this business like mar- Cause that's the only explanation of god here because they're everywhere um this movie is very funny I laughed. I laughed at this at the goofy things. I like that every time the Foo Fighters agree to do something, they're excited about it. They yell Pearl Jam, high five. Uh! and they all <laughs> high five. Like at the, at the uh, uh, what's that? Uh, what's the album one? What is it? one? ten. 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 I knew it was a number. Yeah, it's all like the cover of ten. They're Aww. all like they're all like high fiving, and then they just say, "Yeah, we're still alive!" Like boom. Adorable. Which is a Pearl Jam song. That's adorable. (laughs) Every single time they do that, that's adorable. It's like if William Castle directed A Hard Day's Night. Like, that's the kind of vibe (laughs) we're getting here. And that's very, very charming. The problem with this movie, and it's a big, big problem... It does not need to be two hours long. Oh, no, no, This you, is you an 80-minute. 80 8, 85
1: minutes of credits. 85, yeah.
0: there's, well, there's another minor problem, but like that, this one's like the thing. Like I was laughing my ass off. I was having a really, really good time for a solid hour, and by about 90 minutes in, I realized that I'm just not laughing that much anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of tapped out. They're not doing anything different. The kills are getting more elaborate, and that's fine, but ultimately... You shot your shot. Like you, you, we're done now. We 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 get what you did, and we're ready to go home. That's the problem. The other thing I think is a big missed opportunity is we've got the Foo Fighters in a movie about making a Foo Fighters album. Why isn't this a musical? Or at the very least, why are there not more songs?
1: Is there at least like one new hit single or not, something? Not a hit
0: single. They 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 do like play this like gigantic, like epic, like forty five. They don't do the whole thing, but like this forty five minute kind of like heavy metal ballad to Satan kind of thing. Apparently Uh, it was was co-written by John Carpenter, who has a cameo as their producer. fun. So, like, that bit sounds cool, but, like, that feels like a really big missed opportunity is to put some songs in this thing and get, like, a good album out of it, too. Yeah. Like, why not? I would love to see a Foo Fighters Halloween concept album. Like, ooh, what are we going to put on for a Halloween party? Let's put on, like, you know, Trick or Foo, or whatever. (laughs) Foo or Treat. I don't know, like... One of those. Let's do that. Why why didn't we do that? It feels like a big missed opportunity. It's kinda
1: weird. To bring it up again, that's that's House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah. Rob Zombie put out a record yeah. to go with it. Uh, yeah. just the, with a lot of original songs. He yeah. he
0: does a cover of Brick House on that one. Sure. Like I feel like uh do you ever see the uh the um uh the Super Bowl episode of The Simpsons? Where uh, they I think go to the a couple su- of those, but they, yeah. well there's one, where, there's one where they go to the Super Bowl and it's they clearly filmed it like because animation they do it like years in advance, so they didn't know who's playing the Super Bowl, and they have to like mm-hmm. hide everyone's mouths while they say it, like says, so "Oh yeah, oh I I can't wait to see the Super Bowl. I can't wait to see the Homer puts like a book over his face. Atlanta Falcons. Oh, that's right, yeah, I saw yeah. that one. It's so the, go,
1: the the Falcons and the Broncos were playing that. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. And so they go to the they go to the Super Bowl and they never get to the Super Bowl. They're always like trying to get in, and also they meet Dolly Parton who helps them like break out of like Super Bowl jail. But at the end. Like I, the, I, I, run, her line, I run Dollywood and Euro Dollywood
1: That one's in Tennessee
0: <laughs> It's a good line But like the the end of it There's like a little fourth wall commentary right? It was just like wait a minute Did we just do a Super Bowl episode Where we never saw any football And there was Dolly Parton And there was no halftime show or mm-hmm. singing What the fuck was that What, the, what kind of crap was that And I kind of feel like that a little bit with Studio 666. We got the humor. We got to hang out with the Foo Fighters. We got some fun, gory bits and homages to Evil Dead and shit. All that stuff is great. Kind of missed the music. Kind of a big draw. (laughs) It's kind of weird. Uh, But I had a good time. And Mm. I think it's fun. It just doesn't need to be that long. That's the biggest tragedy. Yeah. 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 Uh, Tell me about... Something else. Tell me about Hellbender. We're on, we're on a work. <laughs> All right.
1: Um, Hellbender is a new film that was just released on Shutter this week, uh, and uh, it is uh, the result of this on the, a family, hmm. an enclave that is a filmmaking family. They're called the Adams family, but with one D.
0: Oh, okay. Well, then uh, that's fine. Their
1: names are actually Adams, however. So, okay. uh, yeah. It's, so Zelda Adams plays uh, a teenage girl. Uh, Toby Poser plays her real mom, plays her mom, and they live on a mountain together. And uh, the main character, the teenage girl, her name is Izzy, uh, has some uh, some strangely defined illness and she's not allowed to interact with other people. Yeah. Uh, uh, th- this is after a prologue that takes place in uh, uh, sort of the Salem Witch Trials. Where oh, get OK. To see- the, the 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 film opens with a witch being hung and not dying, and they shoot it through the head multiple times, and it still doesn't die. And, oh you know, god! It's clearly like this monstrous thing, and it's like moving yeah. around, and then it just explodes and flies into the air while it's in on fire. Um, <laughs> awesome! Yeah, does it look cool? It's yeah, it's pretty awesome. And in oh, fact, cool. uh, there are a few moments where uh, characters put their hand on like a cursed book, uh-huh. and they get that sort of flashback thing where they get little bits of information. Uh-huh. It is flickering insanity the, these moments where we get sort of that flashback information that it's actually really exciting to look at. That's awesome. There's so many boring ways to do that. And I've seen them all. And yeah. this one, they actually do it in an exciting way. That's cool, man. But, uh, the story, back to the story, uh, this Izzy girl, uh, ends up wandering out into the woods. and uh, while she's out on her own, her mom meets a hiker and the mom magically turns the hiker into ash just poof! Oh. Just makes him melt. So some some fishies going on here. No, that's perfectly
0: normal. What are you talking about? <laughs> that's
1: nothing uh, weird. The, the uh, Izzy meanwhile makes friends with uh, a, a, another teenager, like local teenagers who are sort of squatting in a, a nearby house. Uh, she doesn't know how to talk to people. She hasn't had any social interaction. She's meant to sort of stay away. Her entire life is just making like punk ballads with her mom yeah. in their garage. Oh, for the band that they have together, she and her mom. And then the band is called Hellbender. Uh, While she's hanging out with these teenagers, they uh, play some fun teenage games, one of which involves eating a live worm. She eats a live worm and she goes berserk. And she starts seeing weird colors and feeling this weird murderous urge and Mm -hmm. goes after some of these teenagers. And she staggers back to her mom and says, what's going on? And she says, well, you know what? honey, we're witches. Teen witch. Okay. You're a teen witch. And, and a lot of the movie is then devoted to redefining their relationship with this new information. And the mom explaining a lot about how witchdom works. It's incredibly warm and interesting and, uh, like psychologically real and emotionally real. The way, uh, a mom is now relating to her growing daughter. Okay. Because they have to kind of read, now they have to redefine their relationship a little, and that's, yeah. that's kind of what you have to do as a parent sounds as well. Like, it
0: sounds like a tonal shift, based it, on it's how you're little, describing it. A little bit of,
1: a, yeah, because it's, okay. all of a sudden, it becomes this little bit more of this genial thing where it uh, becomes about parenthood huh. and learning how to re-relate uh, to your child as they get older and come upon new realizations about themselves. Uh, so she explains, uh, we're witches, uh, we can eat life. Like, let's let's eat an ant and see what happens. And then you eat an ant and you can, like, smell blood in the air. And then she teaches her little spells about, like, rubbing moss or picking toadstools. In a very frank, matter-of-fact sort of way. Yeah. Uh, and it, but also still in a very, like, visually interesting sort of way. Uh, she teaches her that if you eat a maggot... Uh, because maggots are so closely associated with death, it's essentially like getting super high. Oh, wow. And there's some really, like, warm but weirdly disturbing scenes where they eat maggots and they're getting high together. They're, like, vomiting blood onto each other. But it's seen in this is very kind of, like, bonding experience. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the reason why uh, the teenage daughter has been kept away from everything is because... Uh, when you're a witch and you can eat life and gain power, you tend to become a mad cannibal monster after a while. Well, so I mean, that's one option. Uh, so there's echoes of the movie Raw in that. Uh, uh, yeah. Because in the movie Raw, at the beginning, that's about a young woman who goes to veterinary school. Uh-huh. And uh, when she eats, I think it's a rabbit's kidney. Well, she, she'd uh, never
0: eaten meat before. She was yeah, a vegetarian her, her, family. Her yeah. mom
1: like, kept her away from eating meat. And during her. As soon uh, as she starts easing, eating meat, she becomes she eats, obsessed yeah, with it like, and control. Like biting into flesh yeah. and eating meat. And you know, before you know it, she's eating people. Uh, Raw is a pretty, is a really terrific movie. Raw is amazing.
0: Yeah. Raw is from the director of Titan. See them yeah. both amazing. It's Ju-
1: a Julie Durkano film. Can't wait them, to really see what they do
0: great. next. Holy shit! Uh,
1: so yeah, the the story sort of resembles Raw, and uh, we we start to teeter with the uh, Izzy, the teenage girl, whether or not mm. she's going to become a monster and start eating. People after a while or if yeah. her mom will be able to sort of relate to her. I love the dynamic because they're actually mother and daughter. Yeah, it sounds really good. They The warmth and the relation they have is, is on screen. It's right mm-hmm. up there. And uh, the father uh, of this family unit is uh, co-writer and co-director as well. So yeah. he was also on set. The whole family was on set Weird. together. And yeah, making this horror movie about it, it, eating life and you, being you witches. You see a lot of
0: people who like collaborate with like family, like oh. a brother or a sister or... Uh, a spouse perhaps or a child whole family it's interesting yeah, and, you don't see that I've, very often
1: i've seen movies like where uh mothers and
0: daughters are both actors sure. and
1: they'll have scenes opposite each other like get
0: everyone involved in the project like we're all working at bob's burgers or something yeah, like yeah that's yeah. that's interesting now, you, I know, you just don't uh, see that You doesn't no, like, see it like
1: that. Kevin Smith we were talking about this he did yoga hosers with, like, with yeah. his daughter yeah. But and he's in it but he plays like this little miniature
0: sausage monster yeah mostly he uh, was just on set as a director yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah this is like a whole family making yeah. this horror movie together it's really interesting uh, so I found all that really really interesting the ending sucks. No! Uh, it, it just turns into this really oh. pat, predictable ending, and it, it feels like they ran out of money. Ah. It's like, because all of a sudden there there's this sequence where they go into sort of this dark space, and a lot of this action takes place where there's no set. It's looked like, it looks like they had to finish the film in their garage and uh, and sort of like rush it out and just do something to wrap everything up. I feel like there was a lot more fascinating things going on throughout the mm. movie that warranted a much more interesting just sort of cliched horror movie ending that we got. Yeah. It, it practically undoes everything that oh, we had that up sucks. to that point. Just that sucks. Sort, of, sort of how, how abrupt and... Oh, I hate that. ...uninteresting the ending is. Oh,
0: you gotta stick the landing. That yeah, sucks. Yeah, it,
1: it, it really, really completely stumbles at the end. But oh, up until bummer. that point, yeah. I was really invested. Okay. Uh, so... A film can be undone by a bad ending. It's not yeah. completely undone, but they really should have thought, really of, whiffed it, yeah. thought of something more fascinating to do than just sort yeah. of like a typical horror movie ending. It feels yeah. really, really typical.
0: All right. Uh, well, let's do a huge, huge mm. shift in tone mm. and talk about a new family film, a dramedy about family from director Stephanie Lang. Okay. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. L-A-I-N-G. Um It is a film called Family Squares Mm -hmm. and Family Squares refers to Zoom calls during the pandemic and this takes place during the pandemic It addresses the pandemic directly as a plot point. I'm grateful that we're starting to see movies that acknowledge what happened Mm -hmm. (laughs) because some places are just like, yeah, we're all kind of hazily aware of what happened between like 2019, 2020 or whatever. Like, Like, no, this is right in the middle of the pandemic and like a lot of Sadly, a lot of people, this is a story about uh, when a family has to mourn the passing of a loved one, but because of the quarantine, because of the pandemic, they can't see each other. And they can't have a proper funeral. And that's really sad. Yeah. A lot of people have done that. And I'm sorry if that happened to you. It's not fair. But it was an, certainly an unusual situation. It's a distinct situation. And making a movie about that, interesting idea especially considering that they had to make this movie remotely. And for the majority of the film, the characters are not on screen together. They're yeah. talking over video phone. They're talking over Zoom. It wasn't recorded over Zoom, but they were talking over Zoom in the film. Uh, the mom who dies at the beginning of the film is played by June Squibb, who is always great. And I actually really like her in this movie. She's basically, she calls, she, she the movie opens with her talking to her great granddaughter, played by Elsie Fisher from Texas Chainsaw uh saying it might it's my time. Hmm. Get the family on the phone. Everyone gets on the phone and they're all saying goodbye and everything like that and June Squibb passes away and it's very very sad. And then there's the reading of the will a few days later and June Squibb has left a video message. And the video message is basically like, "Hey everyone, <laughs> don't mind me. I'm dead." Uh anyway, I just thought you should know uh that there's a secret treasure uh, one of you was adopted, and I'm not going to tell you which one. One of you has been embezzling from the family. <laughs> and that's great. <laughs> and then June Squibb is like, okay, that's it. I might have another video later. Is, is this a Benoit
1: Blanc movie? <laughs> I know,
0: right? And then at the end, she's just like, oh, and uh, I, right, I got to go. I got to get back to being dead. <laughs> Bye. Classic. <laughs> Classic June Squibb. Great bit. Um, and I got to say, the cast they got for this movie... Um a little hit and miss, but pretty good. Um you can listen to Elsie Fisher who is just a really talented young actor, and I really can't wait. I'm really glad we're seeing more of her. We got Judy Greer, we got Billy Magnuson, we got Anne Dowd and Margot Martindale. In in the room together
1: yeah. for the first time. That's
0: like that's like that's like being in a movie with the Dylan McDermott and Dermot Mulroney. Like, whoa. <laughs> like holy shit. I think this is literally I, the I like, first I like them both. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think they've ever been in a movie together, and they definitely, I don't think they've ever had, like, a scene together. So when they finally have a scene that's just the two of them, it's unfortunate that it's over video phone, but it's kind of like the scene where Al Pacino and Robert De Niro finally have a scene together in heat. And it's a pretty good scene. They're good together. Anne Dowd plays the woman that June Squibb married late in life. I guess she realized she came out of the closet late in life. And Margot Martindale plays her daughter. But... Henry Winkler plays her son, you know, pretty... Uh, Sam Richardson shows up but from uh, Werewolves Within. He plays uh, the... Um, uh, what's the guy? The guy the guy who works at the funeral parlor. The mortician? The mortician. No, oh. well, not so the mortician. He's planning the, the funeral fu- and he's the also... The funeral yeah. director. Yeah. And yeah. also to save money on hiring another guy's lawyer, he also got like... He's also a lawyer and he can handle the will because well, right. why, why bother hiring another actor when you can get mm-hmm. Sam Richardson? Um, the good... Is that this is a sweet idea. The good is that there are some very genuinely good emotional moments here and the cast is mostly quite game. Uh the bad is that this movie's weird. Uh there's like this whole well, bit like the, weird is usually well,
1: welcome. What, what's, no, what's no no no, I'm trying to, I'm trying to what's I'm trying bad to, weird. Give me it. give me a second,
0: give me a second. Right. Um so there's repeatedly throughout the movie for like scene transitions, there are CGI roosters with targets on them. Okay. This is never properly explained, but is kind of alluded to in the last scene, but not in a way that makes you go, oh, I get it. It's just like, okay. what were we doing here? Uh, there is a voiceover narration by Rob Reiner. Okay. And Rob Reiner, A, he's recorded on the worst microphone they had. Uh, B... His voiceover is terrible. It's really, really that doesn't contribute anything. How does it
1: compare to Eric Roberts in a Talking Cat?
0: Actually, it's about the same in terms oh of voice my quality. God. Like he's giving he's giving more of a performance than Eric Roberts, but the audio quality is about the same, mm. which is a real bummer, and it really brings the production value down. Um, and his his commentary is mostly useless. I think he's mostly there to smooth over one plot point that never quite gets resolved unless he mentions it. Hmm. Because otherwise he adds nothing, and his his like running joke commentary when he tries to make things funny is embarrassing. There's like a whole bit where like the whole family is like angry at each other and squabbling, and they all hang up on Zoom, and then you hear Rob Reiner go, "Well, looks like we need a recount in South Carolina." Oh my god, too soon, Rob. <sighs> too fucking soon, Rob. What the hell? Barely a joke in the first place. Doesn't even really apply to anything. Um, so that part stinks. Okay. And also the other trick is. When you're making a movie with so many basically there's a few additional shots where like, you know, the actors like set up a camera and film like a scene like off to the side, but about eighty-five percent of it is close-ups on Zoom. Mm. Very unforgiving to continuity. Very unforgiving. Now I'm normally not the kind of person who will be super distracted if mm-hmm. there are a little continuity errors, like, oh, that glass was on that side of the table not this side. I usually don't notice, I usually don't care. So when I notice and I care mm. It's bad. There's like a bit in this movie where like we cut to June Squibb doing her like um, uh, uh, reading of the will video. Mm-hmm. And she's talking to everybody, talking to everybody. And then we cut to from a, from a medium of her to a close-up of her in the middle of the same conversation. Suddenly she's just wearing glasses. Like it's just really... Oh, gosh. They just really didn't get what they needed there. And it's And I realize that's probably the result of a very tricky production in which you're directing remotely and filming remotely and asking all the actors to do their own bits remotely. Uh, But um, it's the peril and that's the downfall of it at times. Um, There's also a couple of characters who feel like they're in different movies like, okay, so this person might be adopted. This person's kind of the, the... You know, black sheep of the family, and uh, uh, this person never quite got used to having like a second mom, and all this kind of stuff feels really, really real. And then there's like Scott MacArthur, who just wrote a book about the time he was impaled with a javelin. And then there's, like, Billy Magnuson, who is, like, Skyping in from Russia because he's a famous hacker. And I'm like, this. these are different what, films. What, what, what are we what, doing here? Wait a
1: minute. What, William, what are you talking
0: about? Exactly. Like, these are different movies. Yeah. Like, it's just, there's just these weird bits where it feels like every time the movie loses confidence and tries to, like, get our attention by being funny or being weird or having an outlandish plot point, uh-huh. it saps away what really matters here which is there was a time period where this was the way in which we communicated with people in our lives almost exclusively for a lot of us Mm -hmm. and to have to go through a harrowing emotional experience this way was something that a lot of us are going to remember every time you make that less genuine you harm this movie when it's genuine the movie pretty much works Mm -hmm. it's a little lo-fi but it works when it's not genuine, it brings it all the way the fuck down. Yeah. So it's a big old mixed bag, uh, and uh, it's a shame, because I think there's a really good heart here. Hmm. But I don't think it quite works. Oh, yeah. all right, and then uh, we got one more. Tell me about yeah. A Banquet.
1: About, well, uh, well, good golly. Um, this is going to be a downshift. Oh, dear. Uh, because this is a uh, very intense movie. Um, okay. A Banquet uh, begins with um, uh, Sienna Gil- uh, Guillory plays a okay. uh, a woman whose husband is is dying of a terminal disease. Okay, and uh, the the movie opens with him taking his own life. Oh God! And uh, she and her teenage daughter witness this. Uh, she has two teenage daughters. One was out out of the house, a little, slightly younger than uh, her main, her uh, older teenage daughter. Her older teenage daughter is named Betsy. Right. She's played by an actress named Jessica Alexander. Okay, uh, and. Shortly after this happens, uh, Betsy begins uh, losing her appetite. She just stops eating. She she develops this severe aversion to food. Okay. Uh, this is uh, at, she goes to a party and like sees like a, something in the sky, and after that, she just doesn't have any kind of draw to eat. And there's a lot of sort of torturous scenes where her mother has noticed that she's not eating anymore. And uh, there's a, a really intense scene where she tries to get her to eat just like a, a single pea. She like can barely yeah. uh, stand to do it, and she's really distressed by this. And days begin to pass, and she still hasn't eaten. And then months begin to pass, and she still hasn't eaten. And she's also not losing any weight. Oh, she's just not eating. Well, and that's a has, proper mystery. No, yeah, yeah. She has no uh, no desire to eat. She's, in fact, her mom begins to weigh her day after day after day, and her weight is just not changing at all. She's not wasting away. She's not suffering any. Uh, any sort of effect of being malnourished. She's Ugh. just simply not eating. But in so doing, it starts to unlock a lot of strange emotional and spiritual journeys huh. for all of the family. Uh, the younger sister, in seeing her sister fasting, begins saying things like, she's teaching me a lot. She's teaching me what it's like to be nothing.
0: Okay. I'm not sure if
1: you're familiar with sort of the historical and uh, religious significance of fasting, but many religious yeah. disciplines involve fasting as sort of a spiritually cleansing exercise. Yeah. Uh, we're actually coming up on uh, Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of Lent in, in the Christ, on the Christian calendar, right. which is a period of fasting. Uh, that's 47 days where, you know, the modern version of it is you just give up something. Is so it 47? I thought it was 40. It's 40. You're supposed to get Sundays off. It's 40, ah. It's 40, actually 47 Days. Ah, okay. Just where the fasting is only for forty days. Okay, got it. So yeah, if you're giving up something pretty extreme, you at least get a day off. Well, that's nice. Uh, And uh, and Betsy uh, begins to feel as if she's been touched by some sort of divine presence. It's almost like an angelic possession story. Mm. It's like demonic possession, but she feels like she's possessed by an angel. But it has that sort of sense of dread around it. It's not this beatific christian movie even though it's almost explicitly about christian themes
0: yeah
1: it feels like a horror movie because everybody's feeling like fearful and afraid we don't really know what the the cause of this mystery is Uh, people are discovering new exhilaration in nihilistic viewpoints uh and this can only come to some sort of tragic conclusion mm. it doesn't seem like there's going to be back to normal for this family yeah uh
0: it sounds harrowing.
1: It, it's harrowing, and I really loved it. I oh, love no. the intensity. Uh, it deals with subject matter that we don't see talked about in movie, and that's sort of like the psychological and spiritual connection people have to food and eating, and specifically not eating. Yeah. When you talk about food movies, we usually talk about indulgence, isn't it? It's about the senses. Uh, denying sensual pleasure is not something that uh, <laughs> that is typically seen as Having any kind of positive angle in movies, usually when you see people fasting or uh, you know like being denied essential pleasure they're they're usually depicted as sort of like a, a repressed sort of figure
0: yeah
1: and this one, this denial of food is seen as almost a a path to enlightenment in a weird way, mm-hmm. but at the same time it's not depicted as something that's being very not very healthy and it's actually having adverse effects on everyone yeah. that's coming into contact with her. She's just not eating. That's all that's going on, yeah she sits at the table and her plate is empty, but everyone is completely undone by her her action- or inaction when it comes to food yeah and uh and then of course it it ends in the um well I don't want to say anything about how it ends yeah. there, but uh yeah it ends in on a sort of a spiritual note uh, uh there's a lot to unlock there's a lot to deal with in this one uh oh. I think the if you're familiar with uh a lot of sort of the, the practice of fasting and that's sort of the way we have a- approached mm. fasting as a practice throughout society uh you're going to get a lot out of this movie i think uh, i i um I have a book by Ricky J.
0: Oh yeah, learned beasts and
1: uh... but not learned beasts. It's uh, oh. Jay's Journal of Anomalies, oh, and uh, R- Ricky Jay uh, wrote several books about strange entertainments. Hmm. Uh, pigs who can count, people who can extract whatever you ask for out of their pockets. Uh, you know, somebody can get inside a ball and roll up a ramp, that kind yeah. of thing. Uh, and and he collected playbills, you know, advertising these things. And uh, he actually has a whole bit in Jay's Journal about fasting as a form of entertainment. People who would say, I'm going to get in this room, and for one week, I'm not going to eat. And people would come from miles around to watch them
0: not eat. Uh, just to be sure.
1: I guess. And, yeah. and of course, well, most... They better
0: not do it. Most of them were scams. Well, uh, yeah.
1: Uh, of course they were. And you know, this, like, and he stayed on, in this house on the top of a pole. Oh, wait a minute. There's a tube up the pole. There's like a little pulley system. It was just giving him snacks all the time. Like, <laughs> this guy was not fasting. Yeah. Um, as somebody who's had a little bit of a fraught relationship with food all throughout his life, this mm. film kind of spoke to me. Oh, okay. Uh, and so, it kind of was important to me in a, a personal sort of way. Sure. Uh, but more than that, I think it does speak to um, the way we tend to view food and the, t- this, the, the way we tend to think about food and how we kind of take food for granted, mm. especially in the developed world, yeah. where we have maybe far too much of it yeah, a lot of the time. It, there's there's uh, uh,
0: there's the s- scarcity. Doesn't hit as many people, yeah. Here, like there than, are, as elsewhere. There are
1: food deserts and hungry people in the United States. Oh I'm, yes, there I'm, are. I'm not, uh, not at all implying that there aren't. No, no, but, no, no, uh,
0: no. But it's and, there's a yeah. lot of people who don't live in fear of not knowing what they're going to eat today. Yeah, yeah, you know, like there's there there aren't, yeah. and that they they will encounter these stories differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and and I feel like this is a movie that is trying to come at that from the opposite angle. Yeah, and I don't think I've ever seen that before. It's interesting in a feature film. So yeah, I. I yeah. I'm going to be thinking about a banquet for a long time.
0: That's exciting. Okay. Well, uh, let's review some movies on the critically acclaimed scale. This, uh, once again, we do a lot of talking about, uh, various films and, uh, sometimes we've been told it's difficult to say where we land. So we review films on the critically acclaimed scale. This is a scale of C minus to C plus a C that's average. Hmm. That's some good, some bad. Some people will like it more than others. If it's a particular genre or whatever, uh, C-plus is above average. That's the movie we genuinely recommend that could be just genuinely quite good to the greatest movie ever made. Boom, they're all covered under C-plus. And then C-minus, that is below average. That is either we just don't find a particular reason to recommend this, or it's absolutely fucking awful. Anywhere in the middle hmm. of those two extremes, boom, C-minus. Wendy, on that note, where does A Banquet fall?
1: Uh, it's a C-plus for me. Cool. I, I really dug it. I just, it's It's complex and... Terribly, terribly interesting
0: Nice uh, Family Squares mm. There's there's stuff I like about it And it's hard to be mad at a film that has Again, Mar- uh, Margot Martindale and Anne Dowd In a scene <laughs> together And if that was <laughs> so all there was to it right It would now. be great But unfortunately I think the movie is really undermined By the uh, It's lack of confidence in the drama Because mm. the humor mostly falls flat And also uh, some technical issues So I'm going to give it a very high C- minus. All right. It's it's not a it's not a, it's not a tragedy, but I don't think it quite works, and right. it's a bit of a bummer. Uh, let's see. Moving on, uh, the Hellbender.
1: Hellbender. Uh, a, a C. A Got C. Uh, the ending prevents it from being great. Yeah. Uh, which is really unfortunate because it, it yeah just sort of mm. slams into something really schlocky by mm. the end. Uh, but up until then, I thought it was really fascinating. Okay.
0: Uh, Studio Six Six Six. A C as well. A high mm. C. I think there are definitely people who are going to enjoy this more than others. If you like the Foo Fighters, definitely hang out with the Foo Fighters. If you like horror movies and the Foo Fighters, you're probably going to love this. Uh, but I think it overstays its welcome. I think it just runs out of energy by the end. And ultimately that's a, a crime that comes with a penalty. So here's your C. Uh, and then, uh, the cursed. Oh, the cursed
1: is uh, a high C. Okay. I liked all of the, the atmosphere. I liked all of the werewolf stuff. Um, could have hit a little bit harder, I think. Uh, maybe done something a little bit striking or clever with the story. Uh, but as just sort of mm. like a, a straightforward monster movie, it's a pretty good one.
0: All right, dog.
1: Dog.
0: It, it, it can
1: only be a C. Okay. <laughs> it's way too laid back to be to feel passionate about this movie. Uh, right. But yeah, it's a C. Right. Uh, you know, pleasant. It's just pleasant.
0: All right. Uh, no exit. No exit C minus. You don't have to see this. Oh really? Yeah, you can skip it. That's a little harsh, I think. I think it's a high C. All right. I think this is a perfectly functional, hmm. decent uh uh this is this is a decent thriller. I think this is decently crafted. Um I enjoyed watching it for the most part. Um it's just it never quite hits that extra note and becomes great. Hmm. But I think if you enjoy thrillers, this is a perfectly enjoyable thriller, but it never hits it it for me, this is the definition of a C. Right. For me this is just like there's nothing wrong with it. It just never does anything great.
1: Well I think I think it's decent, but I don't think it's anything more than decent, which is not something I would say to somebody that I'd recommend a film to.
0: Yeah. Well, again, I'm never, I wouldn't go out of my way to say you must see no exit, right. but if they're just like, Oh, I'm going to watch no exit tonight. Will I have a good time? I'm like, yeah, probably, probably. So for me, that's a C. I guess right. maybe We approach it a little differently. And then lastly, the new Texas chainsaw massacre. Uh,
1: also C minus kind of sucks. Uh, I, I like, <laughs> I like the gore. Uh, there's some interesting concepts. I think our conversation was more interesting than the movie.
0: Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah.
1: The, the, this whole Texas chainsaw thing is pretty insubstantial as is, as a slasher yeah. goes. Sure. Fine, fun, gore.
0: Yeah, I but
1: but you're not. You will not be missing anything out of your life by missing this. No, well, you're definitely
0: not missing anything out of your life. However, I do think that as maybe alongside Texas Chainsaw 3D, the only film in this franchise that acknowledges that we're just a slasher. We're not more profound than that. We don't have something to say about family or whatever. This is basically just monster attacks. People, people die. Uh, It's unfortunate that it whiffs all of, like, the big themes that it brings up, but as a purely functional slasher, Mm. I think it works. I actually think that you're going to have, like, a, like, a, oh, shit, like, you know, like, a good, this is a good film to watch at a party, where everyone's going to, like, sort of (laughs) scream and squeal and, like, uh, close their eyes, like, doing the really gory bits or whatever like that. I think as a pure, unadulterated slasher, this is a high C. Mm. Uh, but, um, as like anything deeper than that, obviously I would agree with you, but I think for the people who are looking for a slasher, a genre, which is not moribund, but not doing great, yeah, this will, this will scratch that itch.
1: It's dead. We, we can, we can let the slasher go. It was, I don't it was mind pretty, it, but I don't mind it.
0: Yeah, I, I don't mind it. If you, if you like the there's genre, a... there's, listen, some genres wane mm-hmm. and it's hard to find a good one. And so when one comes around, which is, which scratches the itch, I think it's okay to say, hey. Remember when there were a bunch of slashers? This is actually pretty good for one. There you go. Boom. (laughs) It whiffs some important stuff, but it it gets the gore right. And that's kind of all it's really trying to do. So I'm going to let it have a little slack. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, that is it for Critically Acclaimed this week. We'll be back next week with a review of The Batman.
1: That's right. it's a new Batman. I guess the other ones
0: are just a Batman now. Uh, But we'll do The Batman. There's also a new horror movie coming out called Fresh which I saw uh, not at Sundance because no one went to Sundance, but I saw a screener link from Sundance. uh, And I'm very fond of it, so I can't wait to talk about it with Whitney. Um, And uh, some other stuff as well is coming out. I think there's a new uh, uh, film from the director of Columbus called After Yang. Oh, I
1: like Columbus. Yeah, I'll, have to
0: ch- I'll try to check that out. Um, but uh, the Batman's sucking up all the oxygen in the room, so not a lot of things are opening opposite it. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, that is it for Critically Acclaimed. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you everybody for joining us. Special thank you to all of our patrons, without whom our show would not exist. If you want to join the conversation, there's several ways to do that. The best way is to email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, we might read your email in an upcoming episode of our show. We've got mail, so feel free to ask us questions, take us to task. If we, you know, said something you disagree with, because art is subjective, <laughs> and we're interested in your opinions. Um, and um, and yeah, we can also we're also on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Viviani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Whitney, I forgot what is your PO, what is our PO box? Oh
1: yeah, send us an actual physical letter. Uh, Critically Acclaimed Network PO Box six four one five six five, Los Angeles, California nine double zero six four.
0: And I guess that's about it. So, uh, once again, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, thank you for your patience. Last week, we're going to be picking up the pace and we got a lot of good stuff coming for you this week here at Critically Acclaimed. And never forget, everyone is a critic. I want to go to the
1: midnight show. I'm sorry, what?